when I was in seminary, I was pretty much living my life every day doing two things. Studying and exercising, and it was the greatest time of my life. I know that people have mixed reviews of their time in seminary, but I loved seminary. Every morning I would wake up and I would study. I would study theology, systematic theology, biblical theology, pastoral ministry and counseling and preaching and, and, and Christian ethics and on and on. I would just study, study, study all day long. And then at night, I would work out, work out, work out, work out all night long. I would do CrossFit. I would swim. I had a, we had our gym had a pool. Uh, we would play basketball and, and football and volleyball. Like just play and exercise, study and exercise. And that was awesome. But the inevitable downside of being active all the time is that at one point, you're going to get hurt, right? And so one evening, I was playing basketball with my classmates. And there was this one play. I don't remember why. But my teammate and I blindsided each other and like, bam, like, it was, we were playing basketball, it was like a football, like helmet to helmet hit. Because I was running this way, looking this way, and he was running towards me, looking this way, and boom. So his forehead cupped my ear, and that's how we collided. His head, forehead went boom, and we, at full speed, we ran into each other. So I hit the ground, I'm like, what happened? And what happened, or what ended up happening was my eardrum burst in three places. It perforated giant, three big holes in my eardrum. So I went to the ER, talked to an ENT, and the ENT told me that the eardrum is made up of this and that, and these layers will just heal on their own, and these layers will never come back. And so you're going to have some hearing loss with certain frequencies, but you will be able to still hear out of your right, right ear to a certain extent. And in the realm of health problems, I think we'd all be like, eh, no big deal, right? I can still hear out of my right ear. It's not like I was at risk of being deaf. My greatest risk would, the worst case scenario would have been just deaf in one ear. But still, that was super scary to me. Like I started to feel the panic of loss. And, and now it, it, it changed my perspective of how precious health is in every way. Like the smallest things. And so ever since my ear accident, if you want to call it that, um, you know the game Would You Rather? Like, I don't like playing that anymore. I don't have an issue. It's not like an ethical thing or a moral thing. Like, it's a common icebreaker. Would you rather this or would you rather that? I just feel weird about it because oftentimes the question and the icebreaker in your small group is something physical. Like, would you rather not have hands or not have feet? And then people will be, oh, but this and that. Or uh, would you rather never be able to taste again or never be able to smell again? And everyone goes around in a circle. And for me, I realize... I, I would rather nothing bad happen to me. I want all those things, even with a small taste of it, of losing a little bit of hearing in my right ear. This also makes me think of the similar, like, icebreaker game. Again, I'm not judging it, so don't feel guilty if you lead your CG this way. It's like the burning house game. Okay, so imagine your house is burning down and you have time to grab three items. Like, what would you get? And everyone goes around. And basically, it's a fun, funny way of, of saying what are the three most, like, sentimental possessions Right, people were like, oh, like my grandfather gave me his guitar, and I would definitely get that. And oh, my computer because it has all my, it has like 20 gigs of worth of photos from when I was a child. And you know, we all go around and share. Uh, but the burning house, grab only what you can hold in your hands. Question: It makes me a little uncomfortable now, because it is a real life situation for a lot of people today, and. Pretty much since the beginning of human history. It's the refugee life. It's a real life scenario where you leave all behind, maybe a few prized possessions or necessary possessions that you can carry with you, 
but it's a real-life thing. People say goodbye to their things that they love, whether sentimental or not, their community, sometimes at worst, their friends and family because of threat to their lives. And this was what was happening on the first Christmas. The first Christmas is a refugee story. It involves a family on the run for their lives, parents and an infant baby fleeing for their lives, losing their belongings, their community, their home. This was the life of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. And so today, fast forward thousands of years, and for a while, Christmas is not about that dark stuff, right? Like, it's not like a, a day of remembrance of refugee life or, or oppression. It's a day of celebration and, and joy and gladness. But the original Christmas, we have to remember, it was not like that. It was the opposite. Last week, Pastor Bill gave us a lot of those reasons. He said, the original Christmas, remember, it was a time of oppression. That's the key word. The time of original Christmas was all about oppression. People being treated unfairly, armies being in power and violent, political leaders being corrupt and having no accountability, the innocent being abused, war being commonplace. And all of that stuff, of the darkness of Christmas or the original one, it came down to something really simple. It came down to just who was in charge. And that's also been something universal throughout whole human history, I think. I feel like when I think about large scale like countries to small scale like an individual family and their house, oftentimes what greatest, the greatest influence of whether there's a lot of joy and happiness or a lot of sorrow and pain is who's in charge. Who's the caretaker? Who's the one making decisions? Who's the most powerful and has the most status in the country or the family? Good or bad leadership changes everything. And the first Christmas was a dark time because of who was in charge. It was not just a bad leader, it was an evil one. And so let's read this beginning of our text really quickly to kind of set the stage with what I'm talking about. This is Matthew 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, hard stop here. When Jesus was born, it was in the days of Herod the king. This was the person in charge. In the, this was the environment of the first Christmas. We can't just zoom past this because who was Herod? Why is Matthew including this detail? See, Herod was the Roman king of Judea, right? So the Roman Empire, vast and powerful, was in charge, you know, oppressing Israel and God's people. And obviously Caesar is the big, the big shot of Rome. But it's so big that, you know, they're smart enough that, okay, we just have to have regional you know, breakdowns and control and governments and then regional kings. And so over Judea, uh, Herod was the leader under Caesar. And there's a lot of history on, on Herod. He's not like this, like, there's no argument of uh, people who are irreligious that he wasn't a real person. He's a historical figure, whether you believe in the Bible or not. And there's some things that we know about him. Herod, this Roman king of Judea, who was in charge when Jesus was born, he was super paranoid, as many of them were, it wasn't just him, and concerned about never losing power. And so, he actually had his own sons executed because he was paranoid that they were plotting against him. He was this historical person. This is the person in charge. He could just be like, kill that guy, kill that guy, and his own sons. And then, another thing that we know about Herod is that he orders the mass execution of babies. And we know that also directly from Scripture. He hears that a baby is born in Bethlehem, and we'll read this whole passage in a bit, 
to be king of the Jews, and he responds like this in Matthew 2.16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old or under. Christmas was a dark, dark time. The first Christmas was not glad tidings and like, and people smiling and like, let's put up lights. It was babies being executed by the person in charge with no accountability. And in some ways, that darkness of Christmas is not unlike today nor any Christmas ever in history. There is still a lot of darkness in our world today. There is still darkness in our individual lives, like things that we're going through that maybe nobody else knows. And so we've been preaching this series about joy, right? So like I'm, I'm like, like kind of contradicting myself. Preaching that Christmas is a time of joy to experience light. So how can this be true amidst this reality? How was it true for Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, for the people of that day when Herod, a baby executioner, was in charge? And how can that be true for us today, for you and me, right now, even with what's going on in our world in 2022? How can we experience that joy today? So we'll see that darkness is often a result of evil leadership, but the flip side is where we find our joy, that we can experience joy and light because of righteous, good, and a holy leader. And this is the thesis, the message, the point that Matthew will make clear in his account of the of the birth uh, narrative and the birth of Jesus. There's an evil king present, and it's all going down. Herod was the king of Judea in the time of Jesus' birth. But let me tell you about this new king that is showing up on the scene. And so with those eyes, with Matthew making that point, let's read our passage for today. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold... Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child of Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Matthew tells us that wise men, some of you all have heard magi, like that translation. Wise men, magi, we're talking about the same people. They show up before Herod. And so these are not locals. These are not Jews. They're not worshipers of Yahweh. They don't 
They're not from the, our patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who the magi or the wise men were, were pagan astrologers. So they, they were reading the stars and the moon and predicting the future and saying this is going to happen because this comet went by. So they're not like God-fearing people, but God reaches them still. It says a lot about the mission of God. So these foreigners come into town from outside and they ask the king, the paranoid, I'm never going to lose power. I'll kill my own sons to keep my power, paranoid king. A question that sets up, it's, I mean, if we don't see the context here, we won't read it that way. Super triggering tension. Remember, he's evil, he's crazy, he's paranoid. And these pagan astrologers read the stars and they're like, hey, we heard that the new king is born. So how does this make Herod feel, we picture, we imagine. The panic that sets in his mind. And so that's what he does. He panics. He assembles the priests to figure out where Jesus was born. And Matthew writes this, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So he's not just looking for a baby, he's looking for the Christ. And it's interesting because the Magi say, king of the Jews, Herod says, because he knows, this is the Christ. So, the, you know, every pastor at one point, including me, says the lame dad joke, like, first name Jesus, last name Christ. Like, <laughs> so funny. But never explains, like, or for those of you who don't know, like, what Christ is, right? It's just a stupid dad joke. So Christ comes from the Greek word, Greek word Christos which is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is where we get Messiah. So when you hear Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ, same thing, different language. The Messiah means the anointed one. And who this person would be, who this like everyone prophesied about who the Messiah, the Christ would be, the anointed one would be, is the one that would deliver them from the oppression that they were enduring. So think about what they're waiting for, what they're hoping for. We get taxed unfairly. We're being sexually and physically abused. The king can snap his fingers and say, ah, I don't really want you to live anymore. And someone will come and execute you on the spot. That type of oppression, the Messiah was the one to free them from that. To turn their crying into laughing, their mourning into dancing, their poverty into flourishing, injustice into righteousness. So the people are waiting for this Christ to push out the oppressors so they would no longer experience these injustices of their world. But God had a much bigger plan than, than what they expected, than just political stability. His mission was far greater than just fair governments. The Messiah would be the one who would come to save not just Israel, but the world. And the oppression wouldn't just be about temporary evil leaders in charge. It wouldn't just be about borders and land and which side is yours and which side is mine. It would be about saving souls. It would be about darkness being pushed out with this glorious light. It would be about eternal salvation, not temporary salvation. And all that began with the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ on Christmas. That's why Christmas is special. That's why we can have joy. Because Christmas is actually, I don't know if we would be celebrating Christmas properly if we ignored the reality of darkness. If we just numbed ourselves with presents and, and you know, eggnog and lights. Because, oh, Christmas, oh, Christmas isn't about bad stuff. We got to be happy. Like, don't, don't bring that up at the family gathering. We're just here to have a good time. Like, have a drink. Have some food. 
Christmas is very purposefully God sending his son to a dark and oppressive people and showing that the king has come who will free you from every area and bit of darkness in your life. He is the ruler of it. And one day he will put a definitive end to that. Jesus was born, the righteous king, ruler of all the earth. And so this Christmas, our world and maybe your life is dark. Maybe you feel that tension. It's like, like a dissonance, right? Because everything is about fun and laughter. And like every time Mariah Carey and NSYNC come on, you can't help but like, oh, yeah. You know, you, your foot starts stomping and it's, it's just, it brings happiness. But then it goes away and you realize, ah, but my life is really hard right now. And like, how am I supposed to be cheerful? Christmas is actually engaging the darkness, not ignoring it. Because it's God's fulfilled promise, his cosmic display that Jesus is victorious over all of that. He's pushing it out and has come to be the light of the world in dark times. So what that means for us today, as it did for the original people, is that we have hope in Jesus being king, the light of the world, of whatever you are enduring or facing today. In large scale... That means Jesus is king and he's bringing light into war, into addiction, into pandemics and variants and disease and death and viruses, over animosity and fighting and broken relationships, over depression and anxiety and mental health struggles, over failure and shame, over fear, over injustice or wrongdoing or hurt and pain. All of those things, he is king over that. And when we celebrate Christmas, when it turns into 25 of December, we're able to remember and be able to rejoice that our promise-keeping, all-powerful king, ruler, God is bringing light into those dark things over our world and into your life. That's why at Christmas we sing, as we did, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king it's not just because we have work off and we get some cool gifts that we've been looking forward to our joy and hope are found of in the king being ruler over all things and so think about it i'm sure it doesn't take a lot for me to get you to think about what darkness or what struggle or fight you have in your heart this christmas and like the angels brought the shepherds i want to bring you good news of great joy that Jesus was born, the Messiah, every prophecy was fulfilled. He came down to be Emmanuel, God with us. And he is reigning over those things. And one day, he will put a definitive end to every single one. So very famously depicted in every nativity scene, as we read, right, the magi, the wise men, they bring three gifts to Jesus, as we read, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And gold, you all know what that is. Maybe some of you have it on your body right now. I don't need to explain. But not everyone is familiar with frankincense and myrrh. So these two things have been around for thousands of years, are still in the, like, have a big market for today. It's not like an ancient thing. We still use it today. It's like a half a billion dollar industry. Uh, that's still growing, by the way. Um, and so let's show some pictures of, of what it looks like, just to get your mind. The middle is gold, right? Frankincense and myrrh, top and the bottom. 
And there's another photo, uh, maybe a little bit of close-up. It looks like kind of like rocks, right? Uh, they're not rocks. So frankincense and myrrh are actually tree sap. Who knew, right? So there's these specific trees. The way that I kind of thought, it, this is not like a perfect example, but the way like here in New England we get maple syrup from like Vermont. Like someone will tap a tree and it'll come out. It's kind of similar, a little different. So what a frankincense and myrrh farmer will do is they'll take a hammer and a chisel and go to this very specific and rare and, and endangered-ish uh, species of trees and they'll injure it slightly. Not enough to hurt it, to kill it, to, you know, get to a big problem, but just injure it. So like chisel in, a little bit of a cut. And what the tree does is it sends sap to that injury to heal itself. That sap will harden. They'll come back in a, well, actually I don't know the time, so I'm making this up. A couple weeks, whatever. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. And however long it takes to harden, and then they'll take the chisel again and put it off, put it in their bag, and collect and collect. And the farmers are experts of how to be able to do that to the, as much of the tree as possible to get as much as possible without killing it. And what it's used for is incense, right? So back then, Jesus' time, they were using it for incense. And even today, it's still bought and sold, like I said, as incense. And now today, of course, it's not just incense. There's essential oils, too. <laughs> of course there are, right? Um, you can actually get essential oils, uh, frankincense, and myrrh. But why are they always at the nativity scene? You know, as little kids, we, we remember, like, what did they bring Jesus? Go! frankincense and myrrh and like here you get a Dorito you know like ever since we were kids at church I don't know why I said Dorito but you get my point everyone knows but why why is it significant in Jesus's time these two incenses were seen as treasure like today it's, it's actually still like expensive so you have to be wealthy to own it but it was treasure like great value the richest of riches are the only people who owned it not just like oh like you know, you're a CEO of a startup rich, but like Warren Buffett rich, like treasure. And so these three things of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were gifts that were fit for a king, for royalty, for the beyond 1%. So if we get ourselves into the, what's happening here, if it's someone's birthday, what do you do? You get a cake, you stick some candles in it and you bring that to them as their gift for their birthday if it's a wedding you go to the registry and you get them their dyson vacuum or their steak knives and you gift it to them as appropriate for a bride and groom for a king for royalty you bring gold frankincense and myrrh gifts fit for the king so this is what the magi did what about us on this Christmas? How do we honor the birth of the king? We're only the most precious things in this earth. Treasure exclusively is meant to honor you as a baby, no less. What about us? How are we as a church, the people of God, disciples of Jesus Christ, taking this special, reserved, celebrated day and making it all about honoring him. Three weeks ago, um, the prince and princess of Wales visited Boston in Somerville, right? Kind of crazy. They're here for three days. They had big events to attend, something, Earthshot Awards, blah, blah, blah. The biggest event they attended was the TD Garden, the Celtics game. I'm pretty sure that's why they came to the country. And if you could show this picture, 
here they are in the garden, the most important building in all the world. And, you know, it's beautiful, right? Not them. Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year. He's the reigning one. I don't know about these two. Anyway, so they came, they watched the game, and, you know, they had a good time, I imagine. After the game, our coach, I, mean, I don't know if you all are basketball fans, but our coach is this guy, Joe Mazzula. He was asked about his experience of what it was like having them at the game, and it, it kind of went viral. So let, let's take a look at this clip really quickly. Great, 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 great. You get a chance to see the real real thing, thing, and, and, and not, not, how was it like having them there in the building? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph? So, so you, 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 the prince and princess of Wales. Oh, no, I did not. I'm only familiar with one. If you mute one of them, maybe it's just doubling the audio. One from a computer, one from something else. Or... Did you get a chance to meet with the royal family? And if not, how was it like having them there in the building? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph? <laughs> the prince and princess of Wales. Oh, no, I did not. I'm only familiar with one royal family. I don't know too much about that one. Thank you. Straight, straight, straight. Whoa, I like it. Okay, so it's a little cheesy, uh, you know, but I actually appreciated what he said. So, as an aside, it's a little hard for me to understand the lengths people go through to, and no judgment if you're like a big fan, but I don't understand it. Like the, oh my gosh, royal family, right? Like the time invested of like, okay, I'm going to like take a work off. I'm going to go stand at, I don't, where are they, Buckingham Palace? I don't know anything about them, I imagine. And like wait in line and crowds and, and the money that you have to spend, the distances traveled. And for some, it's, it's just fanfare, something you enjoy, a kind of hobby. And others, it's like obsession, right? And so Boston, we had to make serious preparations for their arrival, like, like closing streets down, making adjustments to people's lives and the businesses that were on those streets, shutting things down, increased security. Um, there's a lot of hoopla and obsession over these two people and then you know like I imagine some of their families in your home right now because everyone is binge watching the Harry and Meghan documentary on, on Netflix like people are just really enthralled with this family and so the reason why I showed the Joe Mazzula clip is not to hate on the royal family but to encourage a little bit of that spirit this Christmas of responding with who not in disrespect for them maybe you don't care about them and that's, that's not your thing but I don't know anything else but Jesus this Christmas that type of attitude maybe you don't care about Kate and William and like and, and but the reality is all of us have some sort of distraction maybe it would be some other celebrity that came to town that you'd be waiting outside and be like hey like take a picture with me or or it's material things or customs or culture whatever we all may, may not be flying to London and spending all this time off from work to go see a couple people, maybe it's we're spending hours and hours on Amazon or hours and hours, like, you know, I don't know, making or creating things or hours and hours stressing about, like, what we have to do with our family. Like, we're, we're distracted by other things, maybe not just Kate and William. Or what about financially? We, some of us spend hundreds, thousands and just... Oh, man, all this money has to go because if this person doesn't get a gift, but then, oh, but they are going to give me. And, like, and, and all this money and money and money. And by the way, gift giving is a beautiful thing. So I'm not knocking gift giving. I'm using these things as example to ask what's coming first. 
And are these things expressions that are bringing honor and glory to the Jesus being first and foremost in your heart? Or are, there dis- or are they distractions? Do we need a little bit of the, who are they? No, I, I don't care about them. Oh, like stresses about travel. Oh, no, I don't worry about travel. Like it's, I only know Jesus. Oh, like, oh, those customs. Yeah, I'll get to those. Oh, gift giving. Yeah, yeah, I'll, you know, prime like a gift for my cousin. And I don't need to worry about that. But I only know Jesus. See, the Magi, they brought gifts fit for a king to honor them. And it was their only goal. And you know what blows my mind? Like, I feel like I had ten sermons in this one passage. And I can't help but say it. But the examples that we look to and the, some of the first people that God reveals himself to last week, remember, shepherds, the gross, smelly, ugly, outcasts of society, and then pagans. Like, imagine if a tarot card reader came in here and was like, let me tell you about Jesus. It's, the heart of God is amazing that I'm about to say the Magi set a good example for us. This is what they, their, their stated clear purpose. It says that you can read along in the, in the screen. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. And why are we here? We've come to worship him. And when they finally get to him, that's exactly what they do. Stated purpose, responsive action. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, when they saw the child with Mary, his mother, they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. God reaches these irreligious pagans with the light of the world. And they worship. They bring gifts of treasure before him. So what about us this Christmas? What are we willing to do with our time and our money and our energy, our effort, our thought process, etc., this Christmas to honor the king? In what way will that be displayed in your life? It's, I love it. We're looking at like non-Christians in scripture and seeing, wow, they had it right, didn't they? They traveled all this distance. They gave up their treasures. They had one singular goal to worship the king. What about the church? What about the, us? What are we going to do? So this is our last service, friends, until we meet again in 2023. And I want to encourage you to rejoice in Jesus being the light of the world of every single area of darkness that you might be wrestling with. One day, it will all come to an end. And he is powerful and reigning and working in it right now. And this Christmas, let me challenge and encourage all of us to place our hope in that. And then let's respond. What is your gift fit for a king that you will lay before him? Let's celebrate Christmas that way. We talk about going back to the real meaning. I think that's what the real and true expression of our joy to the world in this Christmas is really about. So let's spend a little time um, in reflection and then I'll pray. Um, Firstly, again, I'm sure it doesn't take you very long for it to pop to the front of your mind. What area of darkness is there in your life today or in the world that is personal to you? And how, and I just, you don't need to think about it or do the work. I just want to pray over you that the light of God would start to shine in that thing.
let's picture and behold the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, Savior of the world, the King of kings. What gift do you want to lay at his feet? Maybe it's your heart and desires. Maybe it's your present, your past, or your future, or some combination of all. Maybe it's your joy, you want it to be in him, your affection. Maybe it's your actions and how you're going to celebrate literally. Let's bring that gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gifts fit for a king before him in our prayer now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, for your mission to save the world. To be the light of the world in its dark place. To be the restorer of all broken things. To be the savior of those who are dead. To bring back to life. To breathe new life and flourishing and fullness of life. To make all injustice right. To fix all brokenness to bring peace and goodness to the world. And that it wasn't just for Israel. It wasn't just for, for Jews. It was for everyone, for all who believed. And man, the, to think about the, the intentional decision for that news to be first brought before outcasts of society and pagans. How amazing your heart, oh God, for the world, for the nations, for people who in our eyes are far off from you, but who you love and you bring close. And that's all of us. We were those foreigners far off that you in your grace brought close. And we are just so grateful. I pray for extra meaning this Christmas for each one of my friends here. Extra weight of glory this Christmas extra joy that nothing can steal or take away this Christmas. And I pray, whether it be the, the posture of our hearts or the action of our hands, that this Christmas we would bring gifts before you fit for the King of Kings. And so be glorified, not just in Cornerstone or in Boston, but this Christmas, in a week from today, in all the world, in all the universe, glory to the newborn king we want to join in that so holy spirit do that work in us and receive that praise from us and as we sing even now in response would you just continue to just cement that in our souls we pray all these things in jesus name amen